us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the, high, in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. And make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. May God bless the reading of his word. Well, Happy New Year. Yeah, welcome to, welcome to 2022. And people are, are saying, no, not 2020 again. No, 2022 is, doesn't mean that, thankfully. We're all thankful for that. I want to just chat a little bit uh, today about um, relationships. Before I start that, I should maybe just acknowledge our relationship. I'm thankful you're here this morning, and I do want to welcome you. If you're joining us online, you're part of our online church family, or maybe you're just checking out Christianity, that's why you're here, or that's why you're with us online, or maybe you're um, just curious about Hillcrest Church. We're just really glad that you've joined us. Have you found relationships harder to maintain lately? I wonder if anyone's experienced that. Have you found that some relationships you used to enjoy and maybe even relied on aren't available to you anymore? Have some of your relational connections been limited or cut off uh, in this season by circumstances um, or even by the ever-changing guidelines that we've experienced through this, this, uh, this time? I feel like there's sort of been a one-two punch. And uh, when I say one-two punch, it's probably because I watched way too much Mike Tyson highlights over the holidays. I I love watching boxers who are really good at what they do. And Mike Tyson is so good, he's scary. Or I mean, he was, not anymore. But uh, at his heyday, he uh, he would deliver, with one hand, he would deliver basically this knockout blow. A blow to the body, a good hook, and then an uppercut. And he'd just go with Boom, so fast and so powerful, these two shots, and they would just crumple. So I just basically watched all these Mike Tyson knockouts. I feel like in this season, there's been about a bit of a one-two punch that we've experienced. We've had a limitation on gatherings at different types of limitations at different times in your workplace, in churches, in the community, in restaurants. It's just, you know, changing things. And that's, I feel, is like the one punch to relationships. But then the second one... By the way, I'm not against guidelines, not against governments making them, uh, just to be clear. I'm just saying that these things have happened in our lives. And um, the second one is the uppercut, I think, has been the discarding of relationships. I think that there's almost an encouragement in the world today that if somebody isn't like you or you don't like what they're saying or what they're doing, that you should just sort of end your relationship with that person or, or bring that to an end. I think that was part of what prompted me to preach last week on forgiveness on Boxing Day. 
And I'm so glad for Pastor Kurt even sharing that in this communion time. This is a great time to sort of sort some things out that maybe aren't right in relationships and be mindful of those things and how our relationship with God, our call to love him, is instrumental in how we love each other. But I feel like, yeah, there's been this one-two punch, the hook and the uppercut of uh, we can't get to all the relationships we'd like to connect with. And then the second thing is there's a greater and greater sort of uh, spirit or in the if this age where it's like if you don't like a relationship that you've maybe been persevering in for many years, we'll just end it. Just be done with it. Just burn the relational bridge on your side and let's be over with it. And uh, I feel like that's the result is that means we've had less access to relationships and less relationships. Now, you say, well, it's hard to maintain relationships in times like these, and I, I would, that's what I'm getting at too. I, mean, I would encourage you. But I want to read you a story of a relationship that I, was, that I read just this last week that I thought was quite neat. A relationship in a time of stress. In the 1940s, a connection began between two historical giants which forever altered our world. Although U.S. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt and British Prime Minister Winston Churchill had met years before, their relationship quickly intensified in late 1942 following the United States' entry into World War II. As their respective nations joined in battle, Roosevelt and Churchill Churchill spent several days together in Washington, D.C., and during this time, as John Meacham eloquently describes in his book, Franklin and Winston, an intimate portrait of an epic friendship. That's the book. They would stay up till two in the morning having drinks and cigars and discussing the war, domestic politics, and their families. They got to know one another on a deeply personal level. And this set the stage for a friendship that the world desperately needed in early 1943. At the height of the war, Roosevelt and Churchill met in secluded locations. During one retreat, they drove together from Casablanca to Marrakesh, even stopping along the way to have a picnic lunch. As the president was leaving Marrakesh, Churchill told an aide that he did not want to know when Roosevelt's plane left the ground. It was the first actual transatlantic flight by a U.S. president. But Churchill said, It makes me far too nervous. If anything happened to that man... I couldn't stand it. He is the truest friend. He has the farthest vision. He's the greatest man I've ever known. Like any friendship, theirs was not all roses. Roosevelt and Churchill knew one another's strengths and flaws, and at times they made fairly cutting remarks and were critical of each other. But overall, it was clear they had a strong bond, one that extended beyond the world stage. In one sentimental note, Churchill wrote to Roosevelt and said, Our friendship is the rock on which I build for the future of the world, so long as I am one of the builders. Throughout World War II, Roosevelt and Churchill exchanged nearly 2,000 letters, spent more than 100 days together, and celebrated Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's Day with each other. Perhaps most importantly, by mid-1944, a product of their relationship, the Allied Coalition, was clearly winning the war. These two world powers and their respective leaders had been there for one another in times of dire need and were about to prevail. In 1945, with the war drawing to a close and victory at hand, 
an ailing Roosevelt turned his attention to the future. On April 11th, the day before he died, Roosevelt sat on the porch of his vacation home in Warm Springs, Georgia. As he penned a Jefferson Day speech, the president contemplated society's next big challenge. Roosevelt had already overcome paralysis, led the United States out of the Great Depression, and the Allies were on the verge of winning World War II. Now, in the last 24 hours of his life, he peered into the future. With age-old walls crumbling around the globe and discrimination under fire at home, Roosevelt, perhaps inspired in part by his close bond with Churchill, found a common thread, one that could reconcile people around the world. Roosevelt would not live to deliver this speech, but the, his words offered a challenge for generations to come. And here's his words. Today we are faced with the preeminent fact that if civilization is to survive, we must cultivate the science of human relationships. If civilization is to survive, we must cultivate the science of human relationships. In other words, relationships are vital to our survival. Relationships are vital to our survival. I was reading, I've been reading, I've read this book before and I came back to it because our series that we're starting today is entitled Vital Relationships. And I happen to have this book that I bought a few years ago called Vital Friends. And it's a great one. It's just talking about the need for friends. And it actually has quite a good section in it on friends in the workplace and how that actually is a real life giver if you have good relationships in the workplace. So it's a really neat book. But the guy who writes the book, he sort of got closer to some of his conclusions by spending time with homeless people and interviewing them. And as he would interview them, he, he, you know, he was sort of tracking several things that you would normally track. Well, what, what role did drugs play? Or did alcohol play a role? Or what about this, this, and this? But he was finding more and more in his research that one of the biggest factors for homelessness was the lack of supportive relationships. And that was sort of, a, I guess, a surprise in the study was that they would, they would, they'd find out more and more that the people didn't have the relationships that they needed to flourish in life and to do well. And so in our vital relationship series, I'm, now I'm kicking it off this week, but next week we're going to, we have our week of prayer. So I'm going to kick it off this week and sort of project a little bit for what's about to come so that you can be ready because I think there's some really great things to come and you don't want to miss them. So you're going to get a bit of week's warning. Next week, we'll launch into our week of prayer. That's very significant for us as a church and we want to just really pray into the things that we believe God wants for us as a congregation, what he wants for Moose Jaw, what he wants for friends and family that we love. We want to be able to just be really focused next week. But I'm I'm going to give you a little bit of a heads up on what's coming. So after our week of prayer, we're going to do two weeks in this vital relationship series talking about the vital relationship of marriage. The vital relationship of marriage. And then after that, two weeks on, the vital relationship of parent-child relationship. And uh, then after that, we're going to do two weeks on relationships in the church, what it's like to have, or what it should be, to have relationship in the church uh, in smaller um, gatherings. Now we have, we celebrate big and we connect, so we connect small. 
right? That's what, one of our values. We have, we have five things that we talk about, that the ways that we get the, we celebrate big, we connect small, we walk with Jesus, we share the work, we engage in mission. That's us as Hillcrest. We do those things. But that connecting small piece is really important, and it's all about relationships. And so we've, we've said in some of our statements that choosing to deliberately connect with a small group of people for discipleship is of critical importance for everyone who follows Jesus. We think it's really, really important. So that's a little bit of what's going to happen in this series. But the idea behind all of this is that we believe that one of the things that changes people's lives, one of the things that really changes people's lives are these vital relationships. I want you to think, like, you might come to certain points in your life where you have to make a really crucial decision. And I was actually just talking about this over the Christmas break, you know, sort of thinking about people I've known through the years. And how sometimes their lives just took off and soared and went really to, you know, great things happened in their lives because of who was with them when they were at a decision point. Who was there to encourage them? Who was there to give them good advice? Who was there to to back them up and really support them? And at the same time, there's other stories where it was like someone got to a crucial decision point and, and, and things just went really down from there. And you look at, well, who was around them? Or was anyone around them? Were they, were they isolated, all alone in that decision? Or were they surrounded by a posse of bad influences in that decision? And, and just really, relationships really affect our lives. They really affect uh, the trajectory of our lives. And we believe that God wants to work for our good through relationships. Now, the thing is, you, hold, you can't really make anyone come into relationship with you. I guess if you're, you know, you give birth, well, you've made someone come into relationship with you. But other than that, you really can't make someone be your friend. But I think there are things you can do to put yourself in the way of building healthy relationships. And we think that, you know, in the church, those are, there's, there's avenues for you to do, to do that. But let me just read you a few more verses here. And these are out of Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23 to 25. It says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who is promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. I've probably shared these verses with you in the last six months, three or four times, um, because they're talking about how we gather, and that's been important to talk about, but they also talk about what we do when we gather. And this is talking about we, we, we're considering how, when we get together, we can spur one another on to greater love, to greater good deeds, uh, to encourage one another. And I love how it says and all the more, as you see the day approaching. All the more. So I want to just say first, I'm going to talk about encouragement today. And the first encouragement I have is to you as a, as a church. And I have encouraged you in this regard before, but I just can't say it enough. In this season of COVID, you've done very, very well. You've been really, really gracious. You've maintained relationships with people that you don't even agree with on many things. Many important things. You've done really, really well. And I'm proud of how you've done. 
I'm proud to be your pastor. Uh, I've, people, you know, over the Christmas season get to see people I hadn't seen for a little while. And how are things going? And say, well, you know, it's been hard for people, but our church has done really, really well. And I'm proud of you guys. You know, one of the things that I think work, I think it all started in the summer. We had a series where our teaching team just took us through the book of Hebrews. It's an awesome series. And, but keep coming back to these verses again and again. I keep coming back to them. What does it look like to encourage each other all the more? To encourage each other more? To go, to go uh, deeper? To love better? To excel and, 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 and abound in good deeds? These are the things that these verses are talking about. To encourage each other even more. So as a church, I think you are a very encouraging church, and we do encourage each other, and we do maintain relationships, and there's lots of blessing that happens in this church. But how can we be in relationship together in a way that we encourage each other even more? That's what these verses are challenging us with. So I just wrote this, this phrase. The goal is personal relationships that are deeper are more supportive and even more faith-building than they already are. So let me just talk about that. First, the word personal relationships. Uh, you know, there's some things, yeah, sometimes you have a relationship and it's more professional than personal. You know, you talk about work, you talk about, uh, you know, your car, you talk about the weather, you talk about politics, but you don't maybe talk about those things that are, are personal, right? So those are, those are all things you can talk about around you, in your environment, but, but what about what's happening in you? So what's personal is our loves and our longings and our values and our hurts and our joys and our convictions and our virtues and our spiritual depth. Those are the things that are, are involved in a personal relationship. So that's what we're looking for. We're looking for these relationships that actually don't just stay professional, but they actually they get personal. And think of Jesus. He's an incredible example of this. Jesus had these, uh, these circles around him in a way. Uh, like he had 70 that he sends out in Luke chapter 10, which is a great, great chapter to read. But he sends out 70 followers that he has. So he has this 70 that he commissions and he sends out. So that's like well, this broad circle of influence. I mean, that's a lot of people, 70. And then, so he would have known them. It wouldn't have been like, okay, you stranger that I've never met. He's commissioned them, right? So he would have had these, they would have been, I don't know where you, you would have been, acquaintances and friends and I assume friends, you know, sort of, you know how it is, acquaintances turn into friends. They would have been somewhere on that spectrum. He had those 70. Then he had 12. He had 12 disciples that he called to follow him. And he spent lots of time with them. In fact, when you look at the Gospels about how much time he spent with the crowds and how much time he spent with his 12 disciples, three quarters of his time was spent with the 12. That surprised me. I just learned that quite recently. Three quarters of his time he was spending with these, just investing in these guys. So he had his 70, he had the 12, and then he had the three, Peter, James, and John. And there was just several circumstances where it was just the three that they were the ones with him. He took the three to the Mount of Transfiguration where his glory was revealed. He uh, took the three into the house where he raised the little girl up. He uh, took the three into the 
the seclusion of the Garden of Gethsemane when he went to, to pray before the cross. So he was personally closer to the three than the twelve. And then finally there was the one, John. John, he was out of the three. He was Four times he was called the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, it wasn't that Jesus didn't love everyone else. Of course, he, being the divine son of God, he loves the whole world. But Jesus had different layers of relationship. He had different, um, he had relationships at different depths, I guess you could say. Just because of different amounts of time spent together and different opportunities to be together. But I think the great thing about Jesus is he had deep relationships, deep personal relationships, but he was always open and outgoing with everybody. He was willing to be there, right, with people. Now, not to, not to no end, right? The crowds tired him. He was, he was, this was God in human form, so he experienced life like we do. He got tired. He got, he got you know, he had his introverted moments, as we, you know, if you know that, what that's like, right? But he had these relationships. And I think what we'd, would be ideal is if we could follow his example. But wouldn't it be amazing to, you know, you know, it's great to know a bunch of people. It's great to have a 70. It's great to know a whole bunch of people. That's great, just to know a bunch of people. And then, and have some sort of connection with them. Maybe you're in partnership with them in some way. And uh, doing stuff together is really good. But then maybe there's 12, you know, that are sort of closer you do more of your life with those 12. You know, if you, if you made a list, who are the people I spend the most time with? And just went to 12. Stop at 12. I wonder who'd make the list, right? Obviously, maybe who you live with and maybe who you work with. And I wonder how much further it would go. I wonder if the bowling team would get on there. I don't know. But uh, he had 12. And then he had three. And those three, they got, in, they got to see some really personal moments in his life. There was a deeper connection there. And then there was John, and he seemed to be the one who uh, maybe Jesus had the most time with out of all of them. And I think that's it's a great blueprint for our lives. It's what we would want. Everyone has these circles, not necessarily that they're circles or that orderly, but those personal relationships the way that Jesus did. And so there's a few things that I think come into these relationships. The first one is the word deeper, deeper in relationship. Getting deeper, you can't do that instantly. You can't go deeper in a relationship instantly. It takes time. You have to spend time together. And it takes trust, right? You know how it goes. You're talking professionally, and then you sort of go across the line into personal. And you share something personal. And then you find out how the person responds, whether they're comfortable with that. And, and how comfortable are they? You maybe go a little bit deeper and a little deeper, and you find out, oh, they're really you know, this is good, this is healthy. They're really willing to, to go deeper or find out more about who I am, not just about, you know, what I think of the weather, but how I'm doing on the inside and, and uh, in my real internal world. So the first thing is we need deepening relationships. And, the, and we know that this is what Christians are called to because in the Bible, it, it, Galatians 6.2, it says that we're to bear one another's burdens. And by doing that, we fulfill the law of Christ. The kind of relationship God wants us to be in is one where we bear one another's burdens. It's a great passage, Galatians 6, because it's got these two lines in there. One is, everyone should carry their own load, and you should carry each other's burdens. So it's like, well, it sounds contradictory, doesn't it? So like, what? We should all take personal responsibility, 
and we should also take responsibility for each other. It's really interesting, those together. So I love that, that, that combination. That way you don't go to an extreme where it's like, well, everyone's got to bury my, uh, carry my burdens. That's great. Thanks. Now I won't take any personal responsibility. So you can't go to that extreme. And then the other extreme would be like, uh, well, I'm just going to soldier on and carry it all by myself and never let anyone help me. Right? So both of those could be unhealthy. But the scripture's got both of those in there. It's a wonderful combination there. So we're called to go deeper, and the only, you have to go deeper to bear, bear one another's burdens because you've got to get personal. Someone's got to feel comfortable enough with you or, or vice versa to say, this is where I hurt. This is what I'm struggling with. This is what has got me bummed out. This is what I'm thrilled about. This is what I hope for. This is what I long for. This is what I've lost. You have to go, you have to go a little bit deeper to be able to get to those things. And so you've got to stay in relationship. You've got to stay in proximity relationship. That's why we encourage people to get into groups here at the church because it's in, over time that you're able to go more and more personal, deeper and deeper, and then people open up and great, incredible things can happen. And God wants to work and bring good into your life through those kind of relationships. The second word is supportive, right? We want deeper relationships, but we want supportive relationships. I've already said we're, be- we're bearing one another's burdens. But a lot of times when it comes to looking for friendships, we, we, can, we can come two ways. You can come one way and saying, hey, I'm going to just go be a support for everybody. And you can wear yourself right out doing all that if you're just going to be a support for everyone around you. And the other way is to say, well, I'm just looking for people to support me. And that's good too, but it, actually you'll never fully experience the blessing of God in your life until you're coming to be a blessing as well. So the relationships that really hum are the ones where there's give and take. I'm here to give and I'm here to receive. I hope in your relationships in the church that you have that mentality. I'm here to give and I'm here to receive. I hope there isn't some sort of roadblock. If there is hope that God will help. Well, pray that God will actually help you overcome a roadblock. If you have a roadblock in receiving, then God will help you with that, that you'll be able to receive from others. You won't just be, ah, it's just me, just me, just me and God maybe, but just me. You can get over that and receive. But also, not the other way around where, well, it's all about me, right? And everybody else here exists to make it good for me, right? That you're ready to give and you're ready to receive. And so it's a mutually supportive relationships. Relationships thrive when we try to outdo each other in supporting each other. When we're looking out for the other person's needs. My mom would quote this to me growing up all the time. Look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. And she was quoting it at me an awful lot more than he, she did to my brothers and sister. I don't know why. But anyhow, I must have been pretty self-centered. I still am, actually. Ah, but we do. We, we need those reminders, again, that this is a give and receive. In the book, Vital Friends, I was reading, and they tell the story of, you know, interviewing the homeless people. And the question um, that they ask there's one guy, his name's Roger, and he's had, he was an engineer and working at a very prominent firm. He had one friend at work, and that guy left the job, 
and then he work became such so difficult and discouraging to him and then he quit his job and then his marriage fell apart and then his relationship with the kids and his mother and he ends up homeless and they interview him and uh, they ask him this question they say who's it this is the question who expects you to become somebody who expects you to become somebody and roger says at this point i don't think anyone does he just come to the absolute bottom there's another story in the in the in the book as well from the same study about a, a lady named maggie and maggie's homeless and they're they're doing the same sort of process but maggie's experience is that in her homelessness she goes to the soup kitchen and um, the soup kitchen is pretty much all the volunteers are college students from the local university and um, or they're high school students hoping to get into their university of choice. So they're looking to pad their resume so they look attractive too. And so Maggie can tell this instantly, that they're not really here, they're, they're there for their own benefit, to pad their resume. And so she holds back from engagement. But there's this, this one student, whose name is Jessica, and she engages with Maggie a little bit differently. Even though she is a student in, in college and university, she seems to want more. And so she keeps engaging with her. And Maggie holds her off and holds her off and holds her off. But then starts to feel, I think I, I can trust her. And she begins to open up. And then Jessica starts saying, well, you know, Maggie, what would it be like for you to be able to get work? And what would you need? And what kind of support? And it's a two-year process that Jessica walks with Maggie through these kind of questions. And she gets to the point where um, Maggie's able to get a job. She gets a job at an accounting firm as a receptionist. And then, and then she sort of learns the job, and she, she's able to help with the actual accounting. And then she's able to supervise others, and she goes on to become actually an executive in this large company. It's quite a... So here's two stories, a huge fall from grace for Roger and a few, huge transformation for for Maggie. So they're interviewing Maggie and they say, what's, like, what were some of the pivotal moments for you? And she said, um, Jessica took me clothes shopping so I could have clothes that would look right for an interview. And when she was out there, one of her classmates from the university bumped into us. And she said, oh, who's this? Like, Jessica, who's this? And Jessica said, this is my friend, Maggie. She said, that phrase changed my life. It changed my life. This is my friend, Maggie. So at the end of their interview session, they asked, you know, the same question they asked Roger. Who expects you, Maggie, to become somebody? Who expects you to become somebody? And she said, Jessica. I have one vital relationship. That's, turning, that's turned the tide in my life. I've gained encouragement. I felt the support. The final thing we're looking for in relationships is for them to be faith building. I mean, this is pretty much the bottom line and why God designed us for relationships. He means to use the, the friendships in our lives to draw us to himself. He means to use you to draw others to himself. 
He means to use others to draw you to himself. And so all Christian relationships have, have a similar goal. We want for others, for them to have ultimate satisfaction in God. I mean, we want that for ourselves, but we want that for others. And the way God has made it work is that he's using relationship for that to happen. I think of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He, I, I always paraphrase him because I can never find the quote in time. But he, he, I, love, I love the quote, basically, that I'm about to really butcher badly. Here it goes. In his book, Life Together, which is all about Christian community, all about Christian relationship, he just says this. He says, the Jesus in the words of my friend is greater than the Jesus inside of me. This is a strange quote, but hang on. And the Jesus in the, my, in the words of my mouth are stronger than the Jesus inside, or bigger, greater than the Jesus inside of my friend. Strange quote. But what he means is, God put stuff in you that isn't just for you. It's for somebody else. And God put stuff in them that isn't just for them. It's for you. And this is an amazing dynamic. An amazing dynamic. And why you shouldn't just be a lone ranger all by yourself Christian. Because there's, God is meant for it to work that when I'm weak, someone else is strong. And that when they're weak, I'm strong. And I found this even in my life, even times where I'm weak, and I've been called to help somebody, and I'm going, I'm the one who needs help. I'm the one who's discouraged. I'm the one who feels dry spiritually. And then I get into helping someone else. It's like God just lubricates that whole thing. It's just like he just brings me alive in helping someone else. And this is an amazing thing. Like It's like when you're feeling so down about your own life, cross the tracks and help somebody who's in a worse situation. And it's amazing what it does for you. But the other thing is that God wants to speak into the lives of other people through you and into your life through others. And just, that's how he's made it for it to work. So when we say, I'm just going to do this, just me and Jesus, he's saying, well, you know, I didn't really mean for it to be just us. Yes, love God. But then, love your neighbor and enter into those relationships at a personal and deep level. So there are people, I, I, I was writing a list, I, I've lost my list here, but I thought, what are some of the crises in relationship? There's a crisis of loneliness. And that's been magnified for many people in these last couple of years. I think there's, you know, just not enough people in our lives. And sometimes you have to make the effort to get into spaces where you can be in relationships, healthy relationships. Um, there's a crisis of superficiality. Again, it's not trusting people to go any deeper, right? I, my encouragement to you would be, when it comes to going deeper in relationship, can you give the extra 10%? I love athletes when they're interviewed and they always say the same things. Yeah, we just gave 110%. You know, does anybody actually, you rationalists, do you ever say, that's impossible? Did anyone say, shout that at the TV screen? Oh, yes, okay, thank you, you admit that. But you know what? I, I think that's great. I like that phrase, actually. Just We give 110%. It's like, so you're giving so much in relationship right now. Could you give the 10% that you're not giving? I and mean, could you give that last 
I'm not talking to, to totally revamp things. So <laughs> this is an example. If you grew up in a house and nobody says I love you in your house, like that was not a thing, nobody hugs, that's just your family, right? Okay. I'm not here to berate your family or to say they're all bad. Actually, it sounds somewhat similar to my family growing up. Uh, you know, we just weren't verbally and physically affectionate like some families are. Don't have to be down on that. But you know what? Maybe you recognize it's not as good as it could be. I'm not telling you to go from we never hug to like kiss your sister on the lips. I'm telling you. Hey, that got a better reaction than I thought. I'm telling you, just give 10% more. If there's a cold front that nobody ever broaches into, would you move into it with a bit of warmth? I'm not telling you to go fully out of your comfort zone in every way. I'm just saying go a little bit out of your comfort zone. Right? Where you normally would say, I, 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 you know, it would be nice if I could say that I love you. Or it would be nice if I could say that thanks. Or, if, you know, I, all I do is grunt and be sarcastic all day long. It would be nice if I could actually, honestly, look them in the eye and say, with all sincerity, from the heart, you did a good job. I don't know what the 10% looks like for you, but could you give that extra 10% in relationship? Encourage one another all the more, all the more. And all the more might just be, for this stage, it might just be 10% more. Just a little bit into that, what might feel a little bit like a danger zone or a little bit more risky. Or maybe it doesn't even feel risky, but you just haven't offered that in relationship. So there's, a, again, crisis of loneliness, crisis of superficiality, that we don't go a little bit further than we, we could. Uh, there's a crisis of abandonment. Uh, like, again, people are in need and they don't know how to, you know, if we're offering our support. I'm not telling you this is endless, because even Jesus himself left the crowds to get alone or left the crowds just to be with his followers. So that's Okay. It doesn't mean that you're an endless resource. You aren't, actually. You're a limited resource. In fact, God coming into a human body took on limitations. Why did Jesus leave the crowds? He had a body that got tired. Why did Jesus sleep? Same thing. So you need sleep, and you need, you need boundaries, and you, need, you recognize your limited quantities. So take that into consideration. I, for me, I find it's just like, I get, it's, I'm going to be with people. How am I with people? Can I be a little more encouraging? Can I bless a little bit more? Can I hold back on the sarcasm? Can I be a little bit more open about where I'm at? That's that extra 10%. And the last one is crisis of faith. Somebody you know might be going through a crisis of faith. You might know that. You might not know that. But as long as it's called today, as long as it's now, this is an opportunity for us to encourage each other in our faith. So I shared this on Christmas Eve. My, the best man for my wedding, 22 years ago, I, I must have picked the right one because 22 years later, he phoned me to encourage me. And we hadn't talked for a couple of years. And he just said, I was praying for you. And uh, I got a phrase in my head. I thought I'd share it with you. The phrase is, don't worry, Steve, God's got this. I don't know what you're going through, Steve, 
And, but I just want to let you know that God's got this. And so I was like, wow, like, thank you, Glenn. And then he's like, and, and a scripture, Matthew 6, 33, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. So that was the, that was the, the things he gave me. God's got this and seek first the kingdom. So I was, that was awesome. I printed out the scripture verse he gave me. I stuck it on my uh, little bulletin board that we have in one of our bathrooms so I could read it every day and reminded of that encouragement that he brought to my life, that encouragement to my faith and just that encouragement of, 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 a, of, of a friendship and a relationship. So what I want to do here at the end is, is this. I want to activate the church, not just one guy, but I want to activate the church in actually walking this out, in, do, in encouraging one another. When you came in, you might have got from the, uh, the uh, oh, where's mine? Yeah, you might have got one of these on the way in. It's 2022, and I want to encourage you. It's great. It rhymes, so it must be good. And on the back, it's mostly blank. And so what I want to do is I want to take some time to think, I want you to think about who needs encouragement? Who needs encouragement? If we're going to encourage all the more, if we're going to grow in encouragement, if we're going to, I've been thinking about it this way. There's enough people out there who are making a mess in relationships. Especially in this season. I've just sort of felt like this has sort of been ramping up and up. And the thing that it reminds me of is um, our youngest daughter. So, the story goes back a little ways, but not as far back as I'd like it to be. But come into her bedroom one day, and she had a box of Kleenex, and they're all out of the box now. And they're not just out of the box. They're all in much smaller pieces. <laughs> Has anyone experienced this with your children or a sibling or something? It's like, ah, it's so maddening. It's just like, what has happened? This is a mess, Right? And at certain ages, you know, it'd be easier to say, well, you clean it all up, but you realize they've created a mess that they probably don't have the emotional and physical capability of actually cleaning up the 10,000 pieces that are on the floor. Oh, so what do adults do? Well, hopefully we're calm. I'm not always, but hopefully we're calm. And we deal with it and deal with them and deal with the situation we clean up. And I feel like that's what Christians are called to in this, this time. I feel like there are some people out there, and I don't want to be too critical, but just that are sort of just ripping things apart relationally. And it seems like carelessly, like a, like a child would who's maybe not aware of the consequences of those things. And I feel like there just needs to be some calm adults that will begin to clean up the mess in life. Not to get all frustrated or lose our cool because we think that people are not being wise in how they act, but to just come in there and go, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, as the best as I can, I'm going to try to bring the resources of God to this situation and to, and to clean things up that have been messed up. And I think we can do that through our encouragement. So I think, we, I, think I have a slide here that I'm going to share with you, if I can get that last slide up, the very final slide. Well, if it appears, hopefully it will. But what I want you to do is I want to just take a couple minutes. And we're going to pray first and ask the Lord if there's someone specific he wants us to encourage. 
And then you don't have to use this piece of paper, but you can. You can text them. You can email them if you've got your, your device on you. But we really want to just activate the body to encourage one another. It doesn't have to be dramatically profound. Um, it could simply be, thank you. I appreciate you. I'm grateful for you. You really helped me. So just be gratitude for something. Oh, I forgot to thank you for the Christmas present. I don't know. Okay, just could be very simple. Gratitude. Uh, it could be um, where you're, you're noticing the things that are in their lives. You're saying, um, I see this in you. I appreciate this in you. I like this about you. I love this about you. Maybe, you, you know, for, remember, it's funny because I never said I love you growing up in, in our home, but I wrote it at the end of every letter. It's because I had a significant relationship, a great uncle that wrote me. Every, we were birthday buddies, March 8th buddies, and he wrote me every year. So I learned to write I love you or love Steve at the end of every letter because there was a great uncle who was investing that in me. I love you, I like you, I admire you. If you're British, I fancy you. But that'll get you in trouble if it's the wrong person. But just, just encourage someone. Just encourage someone. For some, it'll be like, their day was already sunshiny and bright, and this is one more ray of sunshine. And for others, and you don't know if this is the case, especially if God's prompting you, it'll be a lifeline. It'll be a lifeline, and they'll hang on to it. And they'll put it in their happy file, or they'll stick it to the fridge. Or it'll be in their Bible, and they'll read it repeatedly. Or it'll just give them enough to get through the week. So I'm just asking you to just be open to God. And whether you write one line, or whether you feel God's got more for you to say, would you encourage someone today? So let's just take a few minutes. We're just going to take some minutes. You guys are going to play. Give you guys times to write or text or email. But just be the instrument of God to encourage somebody. Lord, right now we're just open to you. If there's anyone that you want to put on our hearts and minds to encourage we just ask that you'd, you'd do that in this moment. We're just attentive to you. And uh, if nothing comes to mind, we'll, we'll just try to, we'll try to just write one anyhow. But we do want your direction in this too. Maybe there's someone specific that you would prompt us to encourage today and we want to be obedient to that. So we're listening. Please guide and direct.